Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 159. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, good old dragonbeard, Pete Mashad. Ohayo gozaimasu, Chris. Konnichiwa, Pete. <laughs> we are back, of course, once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. We've been on hiatus for a couple weeks, but we are back to talk about the latest game impressions and news, as well as our big topic for the week, which is games from Japan that we would like to see released in North America. However, before we get to that, let's kick things off with some new game impressions, starting with the year's biggest release that came out more than a week ago. We're playing catch-up just a little bit, so here we are to talk about, on Switch, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Yeah, that's right. You kind of missed it when you were out of the country, right? Yeah, I was not around when Super Smash Bros. Ultimate launched here in North America. I was over in Japan, and so I did not get a chance to play it until I got back. And I've only been back a couple days, so I've really only had about one day to play this game. But uh, man, there is just so much to see, so much to do. It's almost overwhelming. But, you know, like they say, everybody is here. It has so many characters and so many modes and, you know, so many spirits. Uh, I mean, I'm just amazed by what I've seen so far. Pete, hopefully you've been playing it since it came out. I would love to know what you have thought of the game so far. Yeah, uh, Smash Brothers has been pretty much what I expected and beyond. As you mentioned, there's a ton of spirits. I feel like I've spent my lion's share of time playing the World of Light mode Mm -hmm. and uh, trying to uh, unlock all the spirits I can possibly unlock. Uh There's something weird about that mode where once you start getting into it, you just like... (laughs) You just, like, want to see what's out there. And, like, you kind of just know what's out there. There's, there's more characters to unlock. But uh, there's this, like, compelling urge for me. Even right now, I'm like, oh, man, I would like to be unlocking characters instead of talking to you. But uh, here we are. Yeah, I totally agree. It's completely addictive. The same thing happened to me. I started playing that mode a bunch. I also played classic mode a bunch. Mm-hmm. But as I played world of light it was like okay well i'll just you know do one more battle here and then all of a sudden it would be like you know two or three hours later and i missed lunch because i just kept (laughs) playing you know one battle after the other and you know it's just fun and compelling to keep on playing and you know unlike some of the other modes there's not a big penalty for defeat you can just keep trying over and over and over again and sometimes i would get into like a really hard battle like a battle that seemed almost impossible at first. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, finally struggle my way through it and defeat some really tough enemy. And then I discover, you know, like, you know, three battles later, like, oh, if I had gone this other way <laughs> and gotten this cool ability, so I'm not, you know, blown off the platforms constantly by wind, I could have won the battle really easily in the first place. But there's something fun about overcoming that challenge and defeating those hard obstacles that uh, is very satisfying. Yeah, it's funny that you, now that you mention it, there are a couple like that. Um, I think there's one where, like, your screen will flip upside down randomly there's like a, oh, great. there's a spirit that'll counter that um not trying to spoil too much of that for you but there's also one that's like st- like you, there's sticky platforms and there's another thing that'll counter that so anyway pretty much anything that can happen in the game i found there's a lot of counters for it if you just collect enough spirits mm-hmm. yeah there is a lot of depth and a lot of things that can be done with those spirits for sure now have you unlocked any of the uh, dojos I've unlocked one of the dojos so far. Mm. I'm not exactly sure what it does. I haven't had a character finish the training in there yet. It was a Goron, I think. And I think it you know, raises my defense and lowers my attack or something like that. So I'm not sure how useful that will be. But yeah, I've gone to one of those. 
Yeah, again, it's probably not like super duper exciting, but it is kind of cool that there's like sort of this like little meta game going on. Interesting. That's definitely something I'll have to explore more of. I've also been playing a bunch of classic mode, and I love the fact that each character in classic mode has you know his or her own specific routes and enemies they fight and distinct challenges that you encounter as you play through with each different character. You know, I haven't even touched that mode, and you've reminded me that I need to, so... <laughs> well, you should. You definitely should. You know, one of the things that is really cool about that is that the final boss is not Master Hand for every character. No. The, yeah, it's uh, character-specific. So, like, yeah. if you're playing through as Mario, you face Bowser and then Giga Bowser as your final boss. Well, if you're playing through as Link, then you face uh, Dark Beast Ganon as yeah. your final boss. Wow. And there are some characters where it is master hand you know you might think it'd be ridley for samus but it's not it's master hand and wow. <laughs> i haven't played through with everybody it's only been like you know eight characters maybe 10 characters i've played through <laughs> but uh yeah i've been really enjoying just going through there you know it's only like six or seven battles so it goes pretty quick but it's a great way to sort of get acquainted with the characters of smash brothers you know i kind of pride myself on not really having a main. I love the variety of the game, and so I'm always trying out different characters. This is a really good way to try out different characters and see what they're all about. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Like, you know, at surface level, when you say that there's, like, a different route for each character, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But when you think that there's, like, 74 characters or whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> you're like, wow, that actually is a lot of uh, routes you can play. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure route is the proper thing, but you know, everyone has their own distinct set of opponents they fight against. Gotcha. So you're not just going through the same motions with every single character. Cool. And the challenges, are they pretty similar to like past challenges or what? Yeah, there's nothing really crazy where you're fighting characters with special abilities or powers like you do with the spirits in the <laughs> World of Light mode. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you're teaming up with a partner character against, you know, one big enemy. Or maybe you're fighting off a squadron of six sort of weak enemies. Or maybe it's, you know, a free-for-all between you and three other characters. Or maybe you're fighting, you know, one-on-three or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah, they mix things up quite a bit. And there's also a bonus stage just before the final boss, which adds some variety as well. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty well-done mode. And I think being any longer than that would just be crazy, because like you said, with 70-plus characters, if you want to play through with everyone, that can take a really long time. So it's nice that you can go through there in only you know, 15 minutes or something with each character. So have you played any online? Uh, no, I have not had a chance to try online yet. I mean, that's probably for the best because, you know, right when I jumped into this thing, actually, uh, what I started doing was some of those spirit board challenges. Uh -huh. And some of those are, like, really tough. Yeah. And what it taught me was I kind of suck at this game <laughs> and really need to practice a lot before I do anything else. I'm very, very rusty. So it is probably for the best that I have not done any online yet however i am very curious what it's like have you played it all yet yeah i have probably only like i don't know half a dozen matches or so maybe maybe a little more mm -hmm. it's definitely fun it has some drawbacks i mean uh the only thing is you know you can set your requirements of what you would like to play it as um okay. but what you get isn't necessarily what you've asked for <laughs> Oh, uh, yes. I've heard something about that. So I feel like that's gotten some bad press on the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, that makes sense because if you're wanting to play one player or, you know, one-on-one -on -one and you end up getting all these like four-player matches, well, that's not uh, necessarily see. what you're looking for. And then, of course, your mileage will vary on the, the lag. There's definitely some games I've played where it's been 
really noticeable some you know moments where all the gameplay just stops for a moment hmm. and you can kind of count to three or something huh. but i also have had pretty good experiences and, and you know it's it's just a mixed bag and that's the thing you don't know what it's going to be hmm. but that being said if you play someone you know uh, i i expect it to be better but i i don't know that for a fact <laughs> well definitely sound like there's some room for improvement that's for sure yeah, for sure. And you think, you know, especially now that people are paying for it, you kind of can't just get by yeah, yep. with, oh, yeah, I hope this will work. Please look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our expectations are a little bit higher now that we're paying 20 bucks for this thing. Indeed. So, uh, you know, hopefully they will integrate some tricks, uh, but uh, who knows? Hopefully. Uh, so going back to World of Light mode a bit, who has been your primary character and primary spirits in that mode? I am a Mario fella. Ah, okay. Yeah, after I got Mario, I started using him, but then once I got Link, I've been kind of sticking to him. So, mm -hmm. in a sense, even though I said earlier I don't really have a main, it's kind of turning into Link for the moment. I expect that to change maybe once I get Mega Man on my team or something like that. Uh, and speaking of Mega Man, I've been using the Tron Bon spirit from uh, Mega Man 64 quite a bit so far. Uh, she's one of my stronger spirits, and of course I love Mega Man, so uh, it's cool that she is in there and that I can have her on my team. So is that your main spirit you've been using? Yeah, that's the, the main primary spirit I've been using. I've actually been using uh, a lot of Sigma. Oh, from uh, Mega Man X? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, nice. You're going the Mega Man route, too. And then what about any uh, side characters? It's hard for me to remember everyone I've been using as support characters, but one of them is definitely Celeste from the Animal Crossing series. She has a power that uh, pulls items and food uh, towards your character, and that's very, very useful. <laughs> I wish I had that in real life. <laughs> I'll bet. I've been using uh, one called Yakuman Player. Oh, yeah. I've been using him as well, now that you mention it. Because, uh, yeah, you get like a critical health attack bonus. Mm -hmm. um, I've been using a lot of Hal Emmerich. Oh, I don't have him yet. Because he gives you a beam sword equipped. Mm, nice. Uh, and then I've been using a lot of Kid in the stamina base matches because uh, he gives you extra stamina when you fight stamina battles. Oh, yeah, I don't think I have used that yet, but uh, I do have that one that I've been thinking I should you know, save for when I have a, a tough stamina battle coming up. So, yeah, those all seem pretty useful. Woohoo! <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a testament to uh, the fact that that game, there's just so many uh, elements going on. I feel like, you know, no two people could almost play this game the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very, very true. I'm also, you know, quite looking forward to getting Shantae and using her as uh, my primary spirit once I add her to my roster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is funny, the breadth of uh spirits in there like you just like there's no limit almost to the characters you'll find yeah i mean pretty much everybody from every nintendo game seems to be in there if there is a pro wrestling spirit in there it wouldn't surprise me yeah but i mean even beyond nintendo first party there's i mean it's uh, it's almost countless third party well i mean i think they're almost all representatives from series that are already in the game so like mega man castlevania Sonic the Hedgehog, all of those are very well represented, but it's not like they're sneaking in just extra characters from any old series for the most part. But uh, yeah, there's still a lot of characters in there. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think just what I, my point is that uh, it's kind of funny that you'll just see a character, you're like, wow, I can't even remember, or I don't even know where that character is from. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Like, uh, I actually unlocked the girls from Fatal Frame. Oh, yes. I remember they were in the previous game as trophies, so that's not too terribly surprising, I guess. All right. And then uh, Strangelove? Ah, mm -hmm, from Metal Gear. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Bomb Man and uh, Dive Man. 
Yep, I have them. I think I found a character from like Eternal Darkness or something. And I'm like, I'm not even sure what game this character is from, but I think that's who it was. <laughs> okay, I kind of want to know who now. <laughs> Guess I'll just have to keep playing. I guess so. But yeah, speaking of, you know, just all the depth of this game, the other thing that I've done aside from playing through classic mode and world of light mode is just, you know, chilling out and relaxing with the soundtrack. And again, it is just so crazy impressive how much they've crammed in there. Like, you know, 27 Castlevania tunes, another 27 <laughs> Mega Man tunes or something like that. You know, tons of Zelda and Mario. Those are also my favorite series musically speaking and almost all of it is amazing and there's still new tracks that i'm continuing to purchase through the in-game store and unlock and you know it's just very very impressive how much stuff is in there yeah it feels like they hacked into your ipod or something <laughs> yeah something like that <laughs> and i also you know speaking of which love the way that there are so many different ways to unlock things like you know you can get the spirits by going to the spirit board and overcoming those time challenges yep. you can do it by playing through world of light mode you can get some by you know buying them with the in-game currency and it's just you know however you want to play whatever works best for you you know there's probably going to be a way for you to do it and i think that's great yeah, and then of course there's even like those random encounters to unlock characters when you just like are shifting through the menu. Really? I don't think I've encountered that. Yeah, you'll get those, you know, the, a new challenger approaches, and uh, I, I don't even know what I did to unlock it, but uh, there was a time like when I first started playing where I think that happened like five times in a row. Huh, weird. And I, I didn't seem to really be doing anything totally special or new, but... Hmm, maybe they're just unlocked by how much time you've had the game running or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, hey, you uh, you shook your Switch 50 times while you were holding Smash Brothers. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> anyway, I feel like I have really barely scratched the surface of this game, but it's very, very impressive so far. It's very robust. It looks great. There is clearly plenty of technique and nuance that you know I've barely even touched. But most importantly, it really does have that vast wealth of single-player content that the last Smash Brothers was missing. Yep. And it also is, once again, you know, this vast, amazing, super deep love letter to all things Nintendo and, you know, now even going beyond the world of Nintendo into third parties and indies and all that stuff. And, you know, I know I'm going to be spending a ton of time with this game in the coming weeks, but so far, only having spent, you know, the better part of a day with it, I'm super impressed. I think the game is amazing so far, and I cannot wait to play more. I'm very much looking forward to uh, unlocking uh, Mega Man and Simon and playing as them. And yeah, I can just see this being a game where I'm going to spend you know hundreds of hours before it's all said and done. Yeah, totally. And you know, I think with this game, you know, they really started it with the Wii U and the uh, 3DS versions, but this version is the new definitive. It's like it's a handheld. It's a console. It's mm -hmm. uh, you know. You can play it on your television. It's online, it's offline, it's single player, it's multiplayer. Yeah, you don't feel like you're compromising on any front anymore, and uh, it's just, it's like a must-have, I feel like. Yeah, it is the must-have Switch game of the year, I think it's pretty fair to say. Yeah, totally. Even if you're not really necessarily into Smash Brothers, I think you could probably still find something to like in this. Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. If you are a Nintendo fan of any type, you'll probably have a huge blast playing this game. Just don't make me play on a Joy-Con. <laughs> One singular Joy-Con. All right. Fair enough. Don't do your friends dirty like that this Christmas. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> now, of course, in addition to getting the game itself, I also picked up the new Smash Brothers Amiibo. Amiibo! I knew you would. So which ones have you picked up? 
Well, I picked up, you know, all three of the new Smash Amiibo that are available, Wolf, Ridley, and the Inkling Girl. And I admit, I haven't had a chance to actually use them in-game yet, uh, partially because I don't know if I even can because I haven't unlocked those characters <laughs> playable yet. Well, wait, I, I unlocked the Inkling, but I haven't unlocked the other two. Mm. But anyway, as expected, the figures themselves are all very, very nice with lots of detail and excellent paint applications. It's hard to pick a favorite, but it might be Ridley. He's just very, very impressive with this really wide stance that barely fits on the base. Of course, his whole body is really nicely textured. He has this really cool polygonal pattern on his wings that's really, really cool. Uh, Wolf has a lot of really great nuance as well with just tons of details on his boots and knee pads and jackets and like especially just these little detailed straps and chains around his holster and near his belt. Uh, and he's got a really cool wolf design on his back that I've never really noticed before. Hmm. Plus, you know, some great fur textures on his head and his tail. <laughs> Sweet. And then the Inkling Girl is nice as well, but... What's amazing is we've actually already had three Inkling Girl Amiibo released before this one. <laughs> right. And this one really isn't any better. It's still a good figure, to be sure, with, you know, again, plenty of details in the boots and the gun and the backpack and a really nice shading gradient on her hair or tentacles or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But if you already have one of these Splatoon Inkling Girls in your collection, you might not need this unless you are a hardcore crazy Amiibo fan like I am. <laughs> Let's hope not. Uh, and speaking of Splatoon and speaking of Amiibo, I did add those new Splatoon 2 Amiibo to my collection also. Oh, nicely done. You know, that's the three-pack with the Octoling Boy, Octoling Girl, and just the octopus itself. And the octopus is sort of a little plain, but it does have a pretty dynamic pose and a huge ink splat base. And the Inkling Boy, you know, I'm not really crazy about his costume design, but his crouching pose is really unique. And the fact that he's carrying a giant brush makes him a really interesting figure. That's cool. I do think that the Octoling Girl will be the favorite of the group, not only because she looks cool and just has a really cool costume, but uh, also because she's carrying like this big old sniper rifle. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, because the material for the sniper rifle is very soft, mine kind of got curved a bit in the package. <laughs> it's really easy for that to happen, yeah. but it's definitely not a deal breaker. Um, apparently, these are used to get special in-game gear in Splatoon 2, and also it allows you to store your custom character data, but I have not tried any of that yet. But the bottom line is, you know, all of these Amiibo I picked up, I'm very happy with. I especially like the Smash Brothers Amiibo. You know, I feel like I've been waiting for a Ridley and a Wolf for a long, long time, so it's really cool to add them to the roster. But, uh, you know, all these are pretty nice. If you're an Amiibo fan, I think you will dig all of these. Awesome. I think of the Amiibo you've just mentioned, I, I honestly think Ridley is probably the one I would be most likely to get. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a statue of Ridley that exists, uh, or at least a figure. There might be something like that, maybe out of Japan, but uh, yeah, just to be able to have uh, Ridley sitting on your shelf is uh, almost worth the price of admission. Oh yeah, I definitely say it is. I can't think of any off the top of my head either, but yeah, it's definitely cool to uh, have him there on display. That's for sure. That's pretty awesome. All right then, moving along to some other new releases. Another game that I have been able to play just a little bit of since its release is Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom. Mm. Now you uh, played the other Monster Boy the game that came out for Switch, yeah? Well, you're thinking of Wonder Boy, probably. Ah. 
And uh, yes, this is a spiritual successor to Wonder Boy. And that's right. It's not officially a part of the series, but it has a lot of nods and references. And there's even this one part in the game where there's a stained glass window and it shows the previous heroes from the past Wonder Boy games. And I think Sega did the distribution. So they sort of you know gave their blessing to this as being like an unofficial official part of the series. It's really weird. I mean, the Wonder Boy series has a very bizarre history that I can't even get into the details. It's so complicated. <laughs> but if you want to look into it, you know, go online, look it up. It's really, really bizarre. And yes, this is uh, continuing very much in that path. And, you know, Wonder Boy, The Dragon's Trap, that's the game you're talking about that I played before. Mm-hmm. And that was great. But it was basically a direct port of an old Master System right. game. You could switch back and forth between the old graphics, and the new graphics, the old music, and the new music. And while it was really fun and, you know, the modern veneer looked fantastic, you could still kind of see some of these rough edges from its 8-bit roots back there. Gotcha. But... That's not the case with this game. You can tell it is designed from the ground up as a modern 2D uh, action platformer adventure game with modern sensibilities in mind. Now, do the graphics look very similar to the uh, original one that you played? Well, I mean, they both have a, a beautiful, gorgeous 2D hand-drawn style. I mean, if you look at it you know, carefully, you'll see, oh, well, this one certainly looks distinct from this one. Mm. But, I mean, they both are beautiful hand-drawn 2D games, so they're very similar in that regard. Cool. And, you know, they're also similar in, you know, some of the gameplay aspects as well. I mean, the key hook to this game is that as you play through, you gain these shape-shifting powers to earn new abilities, let you transform to different forms. You start out as a human, then you get transformed into a pig. (laughs) And uh, right now I am stuck as a pig. I can't learn any new abilities at this point. I have to get through an area or two before I learn the cool stuff. But (laughs) I know eventually I'll be turning into a dragon and a lion and some other stuff. But, you know, it's not so bad being a pig. You (laughs) literally have the ability to sniff out secrets. You have a sniff button, and that makes uh, secret stuff appear. (laughs) So it's not all that bad. And, you know, he can cast some spells and do a little bit of short-range fighting, even though he's a pig with an eye patch on, you know? Right, he's almost like a hairless capybara. (laughs) I don't think I would say that, but he is somewhat (laughs) roly-poly. I mean, he's a pig after all. But uh, yeah, you know, you gain these new abilities and transformations as you proceed through the game, and there's new armor and new equipment and weapons to buy, and there's form-specific abilities to unlock, and there are latent abilities in your equipment because you can upgrade them as the game progresses. And I've only put in, you know, a couple of hours, maybe two hours at most, but I am really really liking it so far, and it really is, you know, more of a uh, Metroid-style game with, you know, the, the classic grid-based style map that lets you see everywhere you've been. And it just ends up being more fluid and intuitive than uh, Wonder Boy the Dragon's Trap. As I mentioned, the 2D visuals are fantastic and beautiful. The soundtrack is very catchy. The controls are responsive. Uh, the writing is very humorous. And the challenge level has been pretty spot on so far. You know, some parts seem like they might be too easy, but then right after that happens, you'll get to something where you'll be like, oh, wow, I just suddenly died in a couple of hits really fast. But you'll be able to figure that part out and proceed on to the next checkpoint without too much trouble. So, yeah, I am liking this all the way across the board. I love this game and I played it at E3 several months ago and so far is completely living up to my expectations. No, it's good to hear. Yeah, it seems really, really great so far. Also, I should mention the physical version actually does indeed come with a full color manual. So hooray for that. Huzzah! 
Uh, I guess if I can go back to Smash Brothers for a moment, there might be one little flaw I see in that game is that it does not come with a manual. <laughs> and if you're kind of new to Smash Brothers, like I said, a lot of that game can be sort of overwhelming because there is so much stuff. And there are like tutorials hidden away somewhere, <laughs> but I could see how newcomers could be like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah. Um, I kind of wish that game came with a manual too. So. Yeah, you're right. There is no real like tutorial mode. I mean, there is some stuff hidden. I know there's a how-to-play thing hidden there somewhere and uh, lots of tips for all the different characters that you can check out on your own. I mean, they pop up in between matches, but you can also just browse through them, get all these tips. But if you don't know that's there, that's hidden within all these menus, it can be kind of easy to miss. So uh, keep that in mind if uh, you are still trying to learn the ropes of that game. <laughs> yeah, I am kind of curious to know what somebody who's never played a Smash Brothers game uh, thinks of the new one. Yeah, I have seen... A couple people online saying, I'm new to this. I'm so overwhelmed. Is there anything that teaches me how to play? So, yeah, I can understand where they're coming from. And uh, like I said, some sort of manual would have been very appreciated for that game, too. But uh, it doesn't have one. Monster Boy does. So that's definitely a reason to consider picking up Monster Boy and the Curse Kingdom. Maybe you should uh, teach some class for like Smash Brothers 101. <laughs> uh, I'll think about it. I'm only good for 101. 102, you wouldn't want me teaching. No, no sorry, Bob. <laughs> and one other game that I've been playing on Switch is the Sega Genesis Collection. Aha, I thought you might be. Oh yeah, absolutely. As you might already be aware, that is a compilation of approximately 50 classic Sega Genesis 16-bit games all on one Switch cartridge, including Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2, Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3, Golden Axe 1, 2, and 3, Revenge of Shinobi, Fantasy Star 2, 3, and 4, Shining Force 1 and 2, Gunstar Heroes, Toe Jam and Earl, and plenty more. Ah, I'd buy it at a high price. <laughs> well, it is only $30 for all of these games. So far, I've played maybe you know 8 or 10 of them. I played all the way through Altered Beast right away. Played through part of Shadow Dancer, part of Golden Axe 1, some Columns, some Star, And, you know, so far, everything I've played, you know, it's just as great now as it was in the past. You know, there are some games on here that were never great to begin with. There are <laughs> definitely some stinkers included in here, like the Genesis version of Virtua Fighter 2. Mm -hmm. That game is poo, and it's always been poo. But uh, there is, you know, a ton of to enjoy on here and you know, in addition to just being you know a bunch of great classic games there are plenty of updated features that you know bring this into you know modern collection era there's a rewind feature there's a fast forward feature if you want to do that there are save states scan lines that you can turn on or off pixel smoothing options there's a mirror mode i haven't tried that out yet but you know you can play through some of your games like you know totally reversed i should try out streets of rage that way you know i've played through streets of rage so many times but never backwards. You know, how would it feel playing through it yeah backwards exactly so <laughs> that would be kind of interesting to try and there are all these challenge modes as well you know complete a level without using some ability or so on and so forth i mean with switch you don't have a gamer score like you do on xbox or sony but those challenges are still in there nonetheless it also has online two-player mode but i have not tried that out yet maybe i'll pick it up and we'll play that would be fun i'd like to do that but yeah, there's just lots of content in here. There's hundreds of hours of gameplay, really, for only 30 bucks. And, you know, some of these are available on Sega Ages, or at least Sonic the Hedgehog is right now. And you could maybe wait for the rest of them to come, and they're like eight bucks each. But, you know, why? This is a steal at only $30, and I would say probably a must-have for retro fans. 
Yeah, I've definitely considered buying this. There's just so many dang games right now I want to buy. <laughs> there are, there are, there really are. It's not fair. Every tough. week there's more. But, but yeah, I mean, you get 50 classic games for 30 bucks, less than a dollar per game. That's completely insane. Can you believe it? You know, these used to be 50 bucks each or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you put it that way. It's a great value. I feel like Toe Jam and Earl might just be worth the price of admission alone. <laughs> it could be could be yeah we're getting a new toe jam Arrow game coming out on switch early next year so you might want to uh, get in some preparation for that yeah so i hear mm-hmm. indeed well hoff speaking of retro games guess what i got in the mail uh luigi's mustache uh nope hmm what then well i got the nintendo switch online nintendo entertainment system controllers aha uh-huh. excellent I got five shipping notices from Nintendo that mine are on the way, <laughs> but uh, mine have not actually arrived yet. But uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, have you had a chance to open them up and take them out and play with them yet? Uh, I have, uh, albeit very briefly. It was just before that we started recording this. Uh-huh. And? Yeah, pretty fantastic from everything I've tried so far. Mm-hmm. First off, I'll say the packaging is really cool. It's, it's really simplified. It kind of looks like something, I don't know you'd get from club nintendo uh-huh. for lack of a better way of saying it that makes sense and uh yeah it's very simple the box they come in is kind of what you'd expect just like a sliver bigger than what the actual box is okay and then of course you get two controllers right and right away they are charged but uh you know you probably want to charge them before you start playing mm-hmm. that being said you can slide them into your switch and you can play as is while they're charging now the cool thing is, is that while they're both connected, you can actually play using two controllers. Oh, weird. It's hard to explain, but even though the controller is straight up and down, uh, you can use the D-pad of the left controller and the buttons on the right controller, and um, it actually maps so that you can play it that way. Oh, crazy. I never even considered that would be an option. Yeah, I mean, it looks like kind of a, a hideous monstrosity. Uh, when when you're doing that. But uh, yeah, they actually made it so that uh, the buttons kind of remap so you can still play it. Well, I guess that does make sense since a lot of people do enjoy playing the system in handheld mode. Yeah, and it's it's pretty cool because the D-pad is much better on these controllers than on your standard Joy-Con. Yeah, totally. I mean, the regular Joy-Con doesn't even have a D-pad on it. And even the one on the Pro Controller can be a little bit questionable at times. Yeah, you're right. The the one on the Pro Controller is actually really kind of wonky. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard stories. (laughs) But then, of course, when you unplug, you can just use one, and that works just as well. And honestly, if I wasn't looking down and I was playing, I would think I was actually holding the original NES controller. It really feels and has the same thickness, and buttons kind of feel the same way that you'd expect. So yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to be able to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And no, uh, you know, three-inch-long cord to deal with like the NES Classic either. So, excellent. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then, of course, the controller by itself has the L and R buttons from the Joy-Con kind of at the top of the controller mm-hmm. along that little plastic rail that slides into your Switch. Yep, that makes sense, too. The other kind of cool thing is that when you go to play your NES games on your Switch, just going into that application the sound effects are very Nintendo sound effects. <laughs> and I swear, it only works when you're using the NES controllers. Huh, weird. Yeah, so like when you open like a system menu and stuff, there's like, makes like, almost like a Zelda sub-nav sound, like of you know, you're opening your menu. I don't know, it's, it's bizarro world, but uh, it's really kind of nice. Hmm, 
Interesting. It's like this fun little Easter egg for folks that pony up for the controllers. Okay, cool. Well, it's definitely something to look forward to when mine arrive, hopefully in the coming days. Yeah. Oh, one other thing. When you jump into the application for the first time using them, there's actually sort of this tutorial that kind of happens while you're playing. It doesn't really invade your game. I mean, it might, especially you, it might bug you. (laughs) But there's these little like kind of like silhouettes of the controllers show up and they show you like what the buttons do. Because when you're playing in different ways, when you have like both controllers plugged in, you have to hit like the D-pad on the right controller to get the menu to open. And it just kind of shows you that while you're playing. Huh, very interesting. Yeah, kind of a weird feature. I guess the point is that the box itself really has no instructions. (laughs) The back of it just says, set of two NES controllers for the Nintendo Switch system. These controllers are for use with the Nintendo Entertainment System, Nintendo Switch Online games. Before using controllers for the first time, charge and pair them. Okay, well, I have no reason to think that I won't be able to figure it out. I'm sure it'll work out fine. (laughs) If you have any trouble, you can call me. (laughs) I'll keep that in mind. Speaking of NES games, though, have you played the latest December batch of releases? I did. I poked into uh, a little Ninja Gaiden. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, it's always been one of my favorites. Yeah, I think that was the one I think I was looking most forward to outside of the initial launch. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, it doesn't let you down. The mechanics are still cheap as hell, uh, <laughs> especially when a bird flies in and just uh, you know flies around you, choosing different <laughs> flight paths based on the height you're at. Oh, that's why you just gotta have a well-timed sword strike, man, that's, and take out those birds. It's true, just like real life. Yep. Don't I know it? <laughs> but no, uh, so far loving Ninja Gaiden and having that on my console is uh, a fantastic addition. Nice. The only other thing I got to play around with for a minute was that there is a version of Metroid that got the SP edition. Oh, wow. I didn't even know about that one. Yeah, it's pretty fancy, but you basically start with everything you could get in Metroid, including the ice beam, mm-hmm. and you're right outside of Ridley's door. Recreating that classic confrontation for people who weren't able to get there on their own, huh? Yeah, and uh, it actually showed me something I didn't know about that. I guess you can freeze Ridley's shots. Maybe I'm just a total noob, but I didn't know you could do that. So basically, with the ice beam, you just go in there, you start freezing Ridley's shots, and then you uh, you can actually stand on them and just like pepper him with missiles. So uh, huh. yeah, it's kind of an interesting hack I'd never knew about. Okay, yeah, I think usually when I had fought him in the past, which has been a long, long time since I've done that, I think I would usually get there with the wave beam. So, interesting. Cool to know. And, you know, I don't know how necessary that inclusion is, but <laughs> hey, I, you know, will continue taking all of these SP releases as long as Nintendo decides to keep making them. Not to go too on a tangent here, but I did actually have this concept. Uh, an idea came to me back in the day when they had the e-reader. I was actually hoping Nintendo would release, like, NES Greatest Moments kind of thing on e-reader where you swipe in and basically do this exact same thing like you start at ridley with all the uh weapons and you just get to defeat mother brain or something and then Hmm. level ends and that's it or like maybe you start off on mr dream or something from punch out yeah then he punches you in the face and you die (laughs) (laughs) yeah hopefully not but yeah anyways just it's cool to see nintendo embracing sort of that and i i'm really hopeful to see more interesting stuff from SP, since it seems like they keep doing that like every release now. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be a trend. Uh, it's too bad they stole your idea, though. Yeah, no kidding, right? They should pay your royalties. Mm, that's okay. <laughs> 
All right then, let us move along from the recent game impressions and talk about a little bit of news. And because we are still playing catch up here, I think probably the biggest news that we have to discuss were the announcements that came out of the Game Awards that occurred, I think, more than a week ago. <laughs> yeah, they probably weren't exactly what you were expecting or hoping for. Uh, that's probably true, but there were some pretty big announcements nonetheless. <clears throat> Metroid Prime. <laughs> No, we didn't get that. We didn't get the uh, Skyward Sword remaster that had been rumored. But what we are getting from Nintendo is a new Marvel game, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. And not only is Nintendo publishing this game, not only is it a Switch exclusive for 2019, not only is it developed by Koi Tecmo, or Tecmo Koi, or whatever they're called these days, (laughs) but uh, yeah, this is a brand new Marvel game that... Features the Avengers, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and even Wolverine from the X-Men fighting Thanos and the Black Order. Crazy. Yeah, I was really shocked by this one, actually. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't have expected this to be coming. Uh, You know, for all those reasons I mentioned above. And it's not like I was a huge fan of the old Marvel Ultimate Alliance games. But uh, hey, it's certainly cool to see what looks like a quality game being made with the Marvel properties and to see that uh, Nintendo is actually publishing it. Yeah, and the fact that it's exclusive is uh, pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it were up to me, I think I would have ditched the Marvel Ultimate Alliance name. Like, you know, why bother? Do people (laughs) remember that name a lot or something from a decade ago when the last game came out? I mean, it's a different publisher. It's a different developer. And... You know, given the way that you know Marvel has evolved in those ten years, I would just personally have called it, you know, Avengers: The Black Order or something. Despite the fact it's not just the Avengers, but that's how I would have done it myself. But uh, you know, whatever. The game certainly looks like it could be fun, especially in multiplayer mode. The inclusion of X Men content in there, you know, is very exciting. And you know, I guess that's what happens now that Disney has the rights back from Fox. So even if I wasn't, you know, like a huge fan of the old Ultimate Alliance titles, I am very, very intrigued by this game and looking forward to uh, what comes of it. You and me both, mister. <laughs> no, you know, I, I think normally I would not be that interested in this game, but for some reason, being on Switch, I think it really lends itself well to the hardware. I'm imagining some, like, co-op playing on it. Yeah, that's what I'm envisioning as well. You know, hopefully it's got local co-op, hopefully it's got online, and with Nintendo as the publisher and Tecmo Koi as the developer, you know, I think this one has a lot of potential. Indeed. We also learned that on the way to Switch is Mortal Kombat 11. It is going to be hitting Switch as well as other consoles on April 23rd. They didn't show a whole lot of the game. In fact, all they really had was a ridiculously gory and violent non-gameplay video the full game will be revealed on january 11th apparently but for me personally you know it's sort of a big deal to see the series coming back to a nintendo system yeah it's been a long time right it has it has if i'm not mistaken the last mortal kombat game on nintendo systems was for Wii more than 10 years ago you know this is the first time in ages that we're getting like a mainline entry in the series that is probably going to be treated just as well as its contemporaries on other systems. And, you know, it's like, hey, there's actually space, they're thinking, on a Nintendo system for an Emirate game like this. So to me, those are all reasons that this is a big deal. Yeah, and I think it's coming out relatively the same date, or if not the same date. 
Yep, yep, it's supposed to be. Like I said, April 23rd for all platforms. And, you know, we don't know a whole lot about it. We saw Raiden and Scorpion brutally killing each other multiple times <laughs> in the trailer. And we know that Shao Kahn is a pre-order bonus, so we know he's in there too. Other than that, we're just going to have to wait until that reveal to learn anything else about the game. And while I'm not, you know, super excited about it personally, just the idea, the fact that it's coming, you know, like I said, is very cool. So I think that is something that uh, all Nintendo fans should be uh, happy about, just you know, knowing that uh, something like this is on the way. Yeah, it's too bad. April 23rd is a Tuesday. Otherwise, it would be another Mortal Monday. <laughs> or they could save it for Friday and do a Fatal Friday. <laughs> and we'll have to think of some violent word to match up with Tuesday. I feel like they came out for a while on Mondays and they called them Mortal Monday, but I don't know. I think that was a thing. I'm but that was a long time ago. Yeah. So. <laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum, we got a reveal of a game called Sayonara Wild Hearts, which is also coming out in 2019. And that game just looks crazy. Like from the trailer, it was very hard to tell exactly what this game is. But I went to the publisher developer's website and it is described as a music game that involves motorcycle riding, skateboarding, and dance battles, as well as just being awesome. <laughs> and apparently you do all these things at the same time, like you're cruising down some uh, sort of neon black and purple highway, and you're engaging in sword battles on top of a motorcycle while dodging a robot Cerberus or something. <laughs> it just looks completely insane. It's got a very stylized, flat-shaded look that kind of reminds me of uh, Killer7, if you remember that one. Oh yeah, definitely. And it just looks and sounds completely and utterly insane yeah i'm totally in on this one i feel like it uh, has the potential to be like a total sleeper cult classic well after you know getting a debut like that i'm not sure it would qualify as either one of those it's got a lot of attention on it now <laughs> for me though the question is you know what is the gameplay really like like they talk about how music is such an important part of the game is it more of a rhythm game or is the music just sort of a backdrop to the action either way i am definitely intrigued it looks bizarre and crazy and uh you know seems to have a, a good amount of like no more heroes mixed in there although probably a lot less violent but yeah i am certainly interested to see where it goes from here i just want to play hermit 64 <laughs> i'll bet you do <laughs> didn't people used to call you that at one time was that your nickname hermit 64 i think that was george sinfield ah okay okay <laughs> and last but certainly not least was the news at the game awards that there is a new uh, smash brothers character on the way as dlc and that is joker oh yeah i've always wanted batman characters in smash brothers yeah, I know. Just think about it. You know, maybe we can get the penguin. Maybe we can get Alfred in there. Maybe Catwoman. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, it was a terrible joke. <laughs> you know, if you hadn't done it, I would have. Ah. But uh, no, this is actually uh, Joker from Persona 5, which, you know, is a very interesting and surprising choice. You know, there was no footage, just a teaser reveal saying that uh, Joker had uh, stolen his invite to uh, get into Smash Brothers. But <laughs> yeah, I was very surprised. I don't think anyone really saw this one coming because Persona has had minimal presence on Nintendo systems. I mean, you could say the same thing about Cloud as a Final Fantasy representative, but at least Final Fantasy has had a lot of representation on Nintendo systems, even if Cloud himself has not. So yeah, this was uh, you know quite a shock to me, and it kind of shows that really anything goes when it comes to these DLC characters. Yeah, and I think to me what the craziest thing about this whole reveal, uh, I'm not super familiar with the character, but 
I think I think just the art style and the fact that this character who's like kind of you know almost like two D hand drawn uh, is going to be in this game. Oh, he's very stylish, if nothing else. I'll say that about the Persona series. Yeah, so it's just kind of interesting to see how that character translates into the world of Smash Brothers. But it also kind of like means that almost any character from any game, doesn't matter what the style is, could somehow be pulled into Smash Brothers over the next couple DLC packs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the big takeaway. I mean, I don't think it really has anything to do with the art style. I mean, we have games from all kinds of separate art styles already being put in there together. That's fair. But I think that it proves that, you know, we have no idea what's coming. It could be anything. It's just going to be something that will make you go, wow. It's going to be something that they know people are expected to pay like 5 or $6 for. And so it's just going to be something that people are going to stand up and take notice. It's not going to be another piranha plant or a Goomba <laughs> or something. What'd you call me? <laughs> now, you know the other important thing about this reveal. What's that? Uh, I think you know. I think your whiskers are tingling already. Uh, I'm not really sure where you're going with it, but, you know, perhaps it's the possibility that it's a hint that uh, Persona 5 is headed to the Switch, something like that, maybe? Nope. Amiibo! <laughs> well, yes. Yes, there will be a, a Joker Amiibo. That is true as well, I suppose. <laughs> Come on, don't downplay that. You know you want it. <laughs> I want all the Amiibo. So, yeah, bring them on. The more, the merrier. All right. But I take it you have not played Persona 5 at all? No, I don't think I have, but I did play Persona 4 Golden for PS Vita. Ah, okay. Yeah, I think they all have pretty much a different cast of characters, just, you know, a lot of the similar style and all that. I actually do have Persona 5 myself. I have not gotten around to playing it, though. Perhaps I will just end up waiting until a Switch version comes out, if indeed there is one. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Persona fan, but uh, you know what? It sounds like a lot of people are, so... Yes, yes, I've heard of lots of great things about the series. Uh, I don't really have a good excuse for not playing it, other than I just keep running out of time. <laughs> God bless it. But uh, at any rate, yeah, it's it's cool, it's surprising, and uh, for fans of the series, uh, I'm very, very happy that uh, they're getting a Persona character in the game. Mm-hmm. You mean a personification of the game? Uh, something like that. Mm. Yes, indeed. Nice. All right, then. That pretty much does it for this week's news, but I did want to make a quick mention that a physical version of Shantae and the Pirate's Curse is coming to Switch courtesy of Limited Run Games. By the time this episode goes live, the pre-order period will almost be over. It ends on December 21st, so if you want this game, do not hesitate. Go pre-order it now. And with that said, I think it is time for some listener mail. This first letter comes from listener Sam Connor, who writes, With the announcement that there will be five DLC packs for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate developed after release, I think everyone has their hopes up that their favorite characters will be added to the roster. I'm curious to hear both of your Smash DLC character stage wish lists. He then adds, Deltarune Chapter 1, the sequel to Undertale, was recently released for free on PC. Have you two finished Undertale? I would like to hear your thoughts on it. If you have finished Undertale, I would highly recommend Deltarune. It is free, after all. So, Pete, do you have any response to Mr. Connor's letter? <laughs> all right. Well, quickly, I will say uh, I have not finished Undertale. I haven't even gotten close. I kind of stopped playing it, but I really do like it. I just need to find the time. Yeah, I'm in the exact same situation. I have not finished it either. And even if I had, I don't really play PC games, so I would not have gotten around to Deltarune myself either. If it finally comes out on Switch or something, maybe then. 
But uh, until then, I guess I'm going to have to hold off. Mm-hmm. As for his question about the Smash characters, you know, we did do our Smash wish lists a few months back when the full character roster had not been revealed yet. And I would probably mostly say the same characters I said then. I think my top five choices, even though actually now we already know Joker is one of them, so we really should you know, be giving out four choices. I'll give five anyway. But I would probably go with Rex from Xenoblade 2, Pauline from Super Mario Odyssey, the Elite Beat Agents, Professor Layton, who I love more than ever after seeing an anime in Japan where he hook-kicked a ninja in the face. <laughs> so definitely Professor Layton. <laughs> And Starman from Pro Wrestling, who I know I mentioned on a previous episode, would be perfect as an Echo Fighter for Incineroar. Uh, Pete, what about your characters? Which ones would you choose? All right. I could give you the list of uh, characters that I was asking for before, but you know what? I'm just going to riff off uh, um, a couple NES characters that I'd like to see instead. Okay. Go for it. And I will say that's uh, Ryu from Ninja Gaiden series. Aha, uh-huh. even though I've already got a Ryu in there, okay. Yeah, two Ryus, that's not a that's not a stretch. Master Higgins from Adventure Island. Okay. Along with his skateboard. Zitz from Battletoads. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that's definitely a stretch. Bayou Billy. Oh my gosh. And uh, Nick Stevenson from Gumshoe, mm-hmm. the main character. Okay, it's time to go home, Pete. You're drunk. <laughs> Too much milk. All right, I was just clowning around. But I really would like to see all of them. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Well, that's what you get for asking, Mr. Connor. <laughs> okay, on to the next one, which comes from listener Joey T, who writes, I love any Power Pros episode when the big topic is Zelda, but I especially enjoyed the one on Ocarina of Time. You guys are right on when you point out the importance of adding the different races to breathe life into that 3D world. Having a tribe that rolled around to travel, that are as strong as stone, but also really jovial, was beyond unique to me. Also, the music from the Forest Temple might be my favorite audio atmosphere in any game. On my many copies of Ocarina, N64, GameCube, and 3DS, I always copy my saves to replay the Forest Temple and sneak into Gerudo Fortress. I do have an unnecessary question, though. Who do you think sent the Rudo message in a bottle found at Lake Hylia? When you question Rudo in Jabu Jabu's belly about the note, she says she didn't write it. So who did? Was it Ganondorf leading Link to the Triforce? Or was there coincidentally another Princess Rudo trapped in Jabu Jabu's belly who was never rescued and has adapted to survive down there for all these years? What's the pro's opinion on this 20-year-old mystery? P.S. I know it's an anniversary, but can we possibly get more big topics to focus on one monumental game that is at least like a decade old? There's a lot to cover in a game like Ocarina, or Mario Galaxy, or Super Metroid, or Resident Evil 4, or New Super Mario Brothers, on and on and so forth. Well, you know, Chris, honestly, with the Princess Ruta letter, I always thought it was her, but she was just too shy. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, I'm going to try thinking outside the box a little bit because I actually had never really contemplated this before. Mm. I'm going to say it was not her, nor was it Ganon. I'm going to say it was Princess Zelda trying to uh, lead him on to somewhere where he was supposed to go. I mean, she's usually in the castle, but I think maybe she could have, like, used Impa to deliver uh, the letter in the bottle because it was in kind of a weird place. You know, it really shouldn't be in that lake. How did it get there? But Impa travels around a lot. She probably learns a lot of things. They could probably discover this and, you know, maybe to help 
link along his way. I mean, there's not really any reason for her to hide it by doing it this way. It could just been direct, but maybe it was a way to, you know, avoid, you know, some evil forces, you know, seeing her trying to, to guide Link along. So that's going to be my theory I put out there. Uh, Zelda and Impa. Hmm. I don't know. I'm just pulling things out of my hat. <laughs> maybe she's schizophrenic and doesn't remember writing it. Uh, that's possible too. <laughs> um, and as for his uh, last point about uh, more big topics focused on a single game, uh, sure, we're open to all kinds of things. If you guys have any suggestions for big topics, whatever it may be, uh, pass them along and maybe we'll be able to give it a shot. Uh, yeah, what do you think about Uniracer's coverage? <laughs> hmm, I don't know. I might have to save that for the uh, 30th anniversary or something. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see about that one. All right, fair. And our last letter this week comes from listener Brian Booth, who writes, I missed you guys this week, and I saw online that you'll be traveling for a bit. I'm a little bummed I'll have to wait for your Smash impressions, but I hope you're having a great time visiting Mario's IRL birthplace. I'm having to wait until the 25th to play my copy of Ultimate. I'm not sure what's worse, the fact that my wife spoiled the surprise or the fact that I have to wait, even though I already know I'm getting it. Oh well. In this brave new world of midnight digital releases and DLC on demand, maybe a little delayed gratification isn't a bad thing. <laughs> Still didn't stop me from taking a long lunch at work today to play a few rounds with my buddy who downloaded it last night at midnight. Though that really just made me want to crack open my own copy all the more. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts about all things Smash. Well, we missed you too, Brian Booth. <laughs> Yes, well said, Pete. Hopefully our discussion this week met his expectations, even though I've still barely scratched the surface of the game myself. And with that said, I do believe it is time for us to take an intermission, and then we come back, we will discuss this week's big talk. Hold it right there. Uh, what's this? You know what time it is. Oh, man. I thought you forgot about doing that these days. Okay. I think it's time for you to, to lay it on me, isn't it? It's time to hassle the huff. All right, let's get this show on the road then. All right, video game professor Hoffman. Yes? If you had to permanently sacrifice one amiibo to save the rest of your entire collection, which one would you get rid of and why? Well, Pete, this is actually a much easier (laughs) question than you might think. Mm. Off the top of my head, I would go with Silver Mario. Oh, what? Yeah, I mean, it's basically the same mold as regular Mario, the same mold as gold Mario. (laughs) So I've already got that same amiibo in two other forms, and it's like the not-quite-as-cool version of gold Mario. So it's like, you know, your third-player color, basically. So, you know, everyone else is unique and distinct and has its own look and appearance. I mean, there are some of them, you know, like, there's a second gold Mega Man, and there's, you know, some other variations out there, like two colors of Robs, but uh, I think that's the only one that has three variations, and I'm just not sure how necessary that Silver Mario is, so that's what I'm going with. I would kill off Silver Mario to save the rest. Well, you learn something new every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that's cheating, and I would have to only kill off, like, you know, one of the, the regular Amiibo, I can't kill off one that's just a duplicate oh man that becomes way 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 tougher i would probably go with some animal crossing character that i don't even remember that's up on my shelf or something <laughs> like that but uh yeah just to go by your not so strict set of rules it's silver mario he's gonna have to take the fall nice. i'm sorry about that yeah, that's that's a good answer i uh i was actually just having fun imagining some like you know like little imp showing up in the middle of the night you know <laughs> giving you this request if you didn't comply it would just melt your amiibos into like a pile of molten plastic 
Well, I am visited by imps in the middle of the night from time to time, so I will keep an eye out and hope that this does not happen. I honestly imagine it's something like Golden Axe, where they just come out in the middle of the night and steal your meat. Ah, well, I was wondering where that went, too. (laughs) All right, definitely something to think about. Okay, it is definitely time to take an intermission, so we will do that. And then when we come back, we'll have this week's big topic, which is Big in Japan. Alright, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which we are calling Big in Japan. This is primarily about the games that have been released in Japan over the years, but have somehow never made their way to North America, but we would still like to see them, one way or another, find their way to our shores. Of course, in addition to that, I have spent uh, most of the last three weeks over in Japan, uh, doing all kinds of things. I've been uh, doing a lot of sightseeing. I've been doing a lot of shopping. I got to hang out with a bunch of capybaras. That was all fun. (laughs) Uh, Of course, I did do a lot of video game-related stuff as well. But for the most part, I was just there to relax and be on vacation and just check things out and have fun. Sounds like a really good time. Um, I feel like you probably got hassled and did a lot of hassling. (laughs) Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I tried to avoid hassling people as much as I could, but, you know, I did take a jaunt out to Kyoto, and I stopped by Nintendo headquarters. Uh, all I really did was, you know, walk past the building, take a few pictures, go on my way. You know, I considered, you know, putting a, a cardboard box over my head and trying to <laughs> sneak in Solid Snake style, but, uh, I mean, those Nintendo ninjas, you know, they're pretty tough, and I'm not sure I would want to try to face them in battle, so I ended up not doing that. <laughs> but uh, still, I never had a chance to be there before, so it was cool to kind of walk by and see where all the magic happens. Yeah, I feel like that is one of the goals of mine, just to, you know, stand across the street and look at it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, just to warn people, they don't have, like, a gift shop, they don't do tours or anything like that, all you're literally doing is going there and seeing a building and, you know, then trying to sneak in before uh, the guards get you. But uh, still, it was pretty cool to go by and see that in person. It's something I never got a chance to do while I was, you know, actually working for Nintendo or Nintendo Power. Now, did you fix the letter N for them? I remember it fell off for a little while. (laughs) It did, but it was already fixed. So, uh, yes, you can pretend it was me that did it. Nice. Were you dressed like Wario when you did it? No, no, I wasn't. But believe it or not, I was actually wearing my uh, pro wrestling A Winner Is You t-shirt. So <laughs> <laughs> I really do believe that. I was representing. Believe you me. <laughs> 
I did, of course, spend a lot of time in Tokyo's Akihabara district. That's the big electronics region. It's full of superstores, you know, like, you know, six floors of electronics of all types. And, you know, that includes uh, lots of video games. They also have plenty of smaller stores in the area, lots of used game stores, uh, a huge amount of anime merchandise in the area. I also stopped by the uh, actual locations from the Steins Gate uh, game and anime. You know, that's coming to Switch very soon in North America, early next year as Steins Gate Elite. And that is set in Akihabara. I actually stopped by where a lot of that uh, game takes place, the actual location where the Future Gadget Laboratory is. Nice. Uh, you know, a must-visit store if you're into classic games when you're over there is Super Potato. Yep, it's called Super Potato. I think a lot of people have heard about it from various sources online, and they still have pretty much everything. They have, you know, used games for pretty much every classic system, like hundreds of Famicom and Super Famicom and N64 and every classic game system available. A lot of them are very expensive. A lot of them, you know, are not. If you get a game without the box and things, you can get like a Japanese copy of Earthbound or Chrono Trigger for a lot less than you would expect, you know. You know, some obscure game like, you know, Total Recall or something, you know, that's going to sell for some crazy amount of money because it's some rare, <laughs> hardly produced, stupid Western game. But, you know, there's like a zillion copies of Earthbound and Chrono Trigger, so those aren't really hard to come by. <laughs> um, you know, other games are, you know, Mother 3, I, it was really hard to find a used copy there. That one was uh, sort of on the rare side. But anyway, if you ever have a chance to check that place out, it is pretty fantastic. <laughs> and they have not only a location in Akihabara, but uh, several throughout Japan. Uh, while I was there, I also got to stop by a Kirby cafe. They have a lot of Kirby-themed food. Unfortunately, it required a reservation. They were, like, booked up until, like, March, which is when I think they close. So <laughs> I didn't get to eat Kirby's face like I wanted to. No, that's too bad. But I did go to a local donut shop. There's a donut chain called Mr. Donut, and they were selling Pokemon-themed donuts. So I got to eat Pikachu's head. And as I expected, it is full of cream, full of delicious white cream. I also got to eat a Pokeball. It was tasty as well. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, there's also a Square Enix cafe that uh, we went to. And uh, again, we didn't make a reservation for that. It's It wasn't as hard to get into, but uh, I still didn't have the time to stop by and do that. I did buy some merchandise in their merchandise booth as well. Uh, and I went to this big uh, manga anime store called Animate that's over in Japan. And they had like a special limited time Mega Man section in celebration of the Mega Man 30th anniversary that had all kinds of exclusive merchandise, keychains and shirts and cell phone cases and mugs and plates and these folders that had art of the mainline Mega Man games on them, even uh, E-Tank beverage energy drinks that you could buy. <laughs> so uh, believe you me when I say I stocked up on a crazy amount of Mega Man merchandise. So that was great. So. Yes, I got to uh, indulge in uh, all sorts of gaming things while I was over there. I actually completely believe all that. <laughs> it's true. It's all true. Uh, but more to the point for the big topic, you know, we're living in a time where it's much easier to get Japanese games in North America than it used to be. You know, the Switch is region free. A lot of big Japanese games come out here in the U.S. on the same day that they come out in Japan or maybe even a day or two earlier. And it seems like every notable game is guaranteed to come stateside. Uh, but even though, you know, that's how it seems, the reality is there are still some games that never get localized, there are still a lot of classic Japanese games that have never come out over here. And so there are titles, both new and old, 
that you know were released in Japan, but they still have not made their way to North America, and that is what this week's big topic is all about. The top games that we most want to see finally come out in North America. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, I feel like you have a distinct advantage at this than <laughs> over, over myself. Oh, just because I spent three weeks in Japan? Why would you say such a thing? Yeah, I feel like you keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in Japan a lot, especially years ago. Oh, that's probably true. That's probably true. So I guess I should kick this thing off, huh? Yeah, you should. Okay, well, let me start off then with some titles from the 16-bit era from the Super Famicom. And they are Legend of the Mystical Ninja 2, 3, and 4. Wow. The series is you know, better known in Japan as Ganbari Goemon. It was called Legend of the Mystical Ninja over here, and it is one of my favorite games on the Super NES. But unfortunately, its Super NES sequels were never released stateside. And, you know, there were these three other games on Super Famicom. I mean, there were also other games in the series. There were GBA games. There were Famicom games. A lot of the games were never released over here. But man, that Super NES one is so good, and the follow-ups are pretty good as well. I actually bought uh, Ganberry Goemon 2 for the Super Famicom many years ago, and I played through that, you know, despite being in Japanese. But I've never played the third one. I didn't even know there was a fourth one until this most recent trip. Hmm. But, you know, these games feature, you know, lovely 2D art, a very goofy sense of humor, and they keep adding more playable characters, including the ninja woman Yai and the puppet Sasuke, who, you know, maybe people remember those characters actually did show up in other games like Mystical Ninja on the N64. And there were even stages where you could control Goemon Impact, the giant robot, which also showed up in Goemon 64. So it has a lot of those same elements, but presented in excellent 2D 16-bit style that we never got to experience over here. And I would love the opportunity to be able to play those without having to, you know, whip out an old Super Famicom or something like that. And, you know, some of these were even released on 3DS Virtual Console in Japan, but, you know, they were not made available over here. How hard would it be? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I would love to be able to play all those games because that series has pretty much always been fantastic. And I would love the option to try those games without having to resort to importing. I'm all for any uh, 16-bit platform games, and I've definitely played some Legend of the Mystical Ninja on Super Nintendo, so... uh... I'm all for those as well. Yeah, it would really be great to uh, get those to the North American audience who missed out on them back in the day. Another lost 16-bit classic that I have been wanting to play localized for a long, long time is Seiken Densetsu 3, which is the direct sequel to Secret of Mana. Mm. Yeah, that was another one that we just never got on the Super NES back in the day. And much more recently, it was ported in a collection to Switch. And once again, Square Enix decided, no, that we're not going to bring it to North America. <laughs> so, you know, it's there. It's in the Japanese eShop. You can download it on your Switch. You just won't really be able to know what's going on unless you know Japanese. But, you know, Secret of Mana was fantastic. Pretty much the entire Mana series is fantastic. And I would love to play that game localized into English as well. Yeah, Secret of Mana was a classic. Yep. Any game that's... Uh in that same vein, let alone a sequel, uh, sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, I really don't have any good explanations to why it never came out here in North America. I'm sure it would have sold well. But uh, yeah, it was never released, and I would love to see that corrected one of these days. And another lost 16-bit action RPG. You know, this is a game that I have mentioned many times on 
the Power Pros podcast, I'm sure. And that is Terranigma, the sequel to Soul Blazer and Illusion of Gaia. In fact, I would probably say this is my most wanted lost 16-bit game because I loved Soul Blazer, I loved Illusion of Gaia, and like those games, this is another top-down action RPG from Quintet and Enix. And the thing about it is that it actually was localized for Europe. So Europe got this game, but North America did not. Oh, do tell. Well, I don't know if I have anything else to say about other than that, other than, you know, we really got the short end of the stick in that case. But, you know, because I like the series so much, I did eventually pick up a Japanese copy of the game. But I am certain I would enjoy it a lot more if I actually understood what was going on. And, you know, somehow, some way, I would love to see this game make its way out to North America in official capacity. That would be really, really great, in my opinion. Chris, who doesn't like 16-bit RPGs captured in a time capsule from, you know, the mid-90s? Uh, certainly, I enjoy them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm all for that as well. Excellent. <laughs> well, Chris, I don't have a specific title, but I do know that there are some Fire Emblem games we are missing out on. Yes, yes, that is a very good choice. I mean, we're kind of lucky that in this day and age, we're getting more and more entries in the Fire Emblem series coming out stateside. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're like you almost could choke a horse with the amount of Fire Emblem <laughs> games that are out. Yeah, in recent years, there have been a lot of them. And a lot of those older games that you know we missed out on have actually been re-released in other forms you know that's right the first two games from the famicom were ported to ds and 3ds respectively as shadow dragon and fire emblem echoes but yeah you're right there are a bunch of other games that we never got again mostly from the 16-bit era i think there were three games on the super famicom we never got uh, called mystery of the emblem genealogy of the holy war and thracia 776 and yeah, I mean, I don't really know what happens in the games. I mean, one of those I think was like a remake and then follow up to the very first Fire Emblem. That's what Mystery of the Emblem was. But the other two are, you know, completely unknown to me. Hmm. And then after that, there was a GBA game called The Binding Blade that we never got. So that is like, you know, four full games that we still haven't got in North America. And, you know, the way they've been going with Fire Emblem, I wouldn't be surprised if they go back and do some more enhanced ports like they have been. Um, so I do kind of have high hopes for this game. And, you know, fortunately, all of the Fire Emblem titles released since about 2003 have been coming over. But, yeah, I would really like to fill that gap in the North American Fire Emblem library. Yeah, you and me both. Fire Emblem it continues to be just an amazing series uh, that I feel like we were definitely missing out on uh, prior to them jumping the pond over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad they have you know sort of corrected it and changed course. But yes, whether they're ports or you know localized versions of the old games or completely remade or whatever, yeah, more Fire Emblem I think would be good as long as they don't choke any more horses. Yeah, that could be overkill. <laughs> Now, speaking of Fire Emblem, and I know we kind of started at Super Nintendo, but I would actually like to go back and request that the NES Wars series comes over this way. Oh, you mean uh, the Advance Wars uh, predecessors? Yes, that would be awesome, right? Uh, yeah, I think that would be uh, pretty neat to see. I mean, I'm not quite as familiar with those titles as I am with Fire Emblem. But yeah, you know, that's where it started. It was uh, Famicom Wars. It wasn't Advance Wars. And yes, I mean... I don't know why that series has sort of fallen by the wayside, 
But uh, I think bring back those old titles, uh, maybe translating them into English, putting them on the Switch NES selection. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I would be uh, the first one to download that if that was possible. Yeah, I would be all over that myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's certainly a good choice. Chris, another one that I was reading about from the 16-bit era is Excite Bike Vroom Vroom Mario Battle Stadium. (laughs) I don't know anything about that one. It was a game that came out in Japan only, uh, and it was an add-on for the Super Famicom called the Satella View. Yeah, there were a few exclusive Zelda titles released for that as well. Yeah, and apparently, you know, it looks like Excite Bike, but it has the Mario characters in, like Mario, Luigi, Toad, Wario, some of the uh, Koopa, Paratroopas, all that. Hmm. It literally just looks like a 16-bit version of Excite Bike with Mario characters. I don't know how you could possibly go wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, that game hardly seems like it would even need that much localization to come out over here. Um, I imagine that you know all those Satellaview titles are kind of you know like lost to time or something. There's really no way you can play them anymore. And I think it would be really cool for all that stuff to uh, somehow be uh, you know turned into a collection or something, so it can be archived and preserved and you know still played by a modern audience, especially a modern audience that missed out on it the first time around. So yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be bad at all. I think the consensus about this game was that it came out almost a year after the N sixty four had been released, so it just didn't make sense for it to come over so late. Yeah, yeah, I can uh, certainly see them using that sort of logic, but uh, you know, in these days with uh, you know virtual console type stuff and classic gaming libraries, yeah, it'd be great to give it another shot. Totally. Of course, no discussion about uh, you know big in Japan games would be complete without mentioning Mother Three. Ma. Yeah. Now, I sort of refuse to play this game without an official localization. (laughs) Uh, Not only am I not a fan of PC emulators, but also I do believe, you know, back in the back of my head somewhere that it really will happen someday. I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon or maybe (laughs) I'm just crazy, but uh, I think it will eventually happen. However, the result is I actually know very little about Mother 3. I know it's supposed to be very emotionally powerful. I know that's where Lucas comes from, from Super Smash Brothers. And I know a bit about the story and how it ties into some of the characters from Earthbound. But really, that's all I know because I really, really want to experience this game for myself, officially localized by Nintendo. Yeah, this one would definitely be on my must playlist if it uh, ever came out here. And uh, I've known some people who've played the, uh, the version that is available mm-hmm. and uh, I've heard nothing but good things. So uh, right, yeah, me I, too. I would be into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, someone's gonna have to move heaven and earth to make it happen, but you know, I would like to think that it will eventually happen. So uh, we'll keep crossing my fingers for that. I would like to think that too. I, I think that there is a universe where that is possible. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I wish I knew something more, but I, I don't. Well, moving on to some more recent releases, a couple of titles I would really, really like to see come out here are Dai Gyakuten Saiban 1 and 2. Excuse me. Bless you. Yes, Gesundheit. Yeah, these are the Ace Attorney games that star not only Phoenix Wright's ancestor, but also Sherlock Holmes. 
And, you know, it's partially set in feudal Japan, so it's very Japanese in some regards. I can kind of understand why Capcom might have reservations about bringing it over. But then the characters travel to Victorian England and team up with Sherlock Holmes. And, you know, that should definitely appeal to a Western audience. You know, I have the first game in the series. I can tell you it was full of great art and quirky characters, but I was only able to get through like the first or second case before I was overwhelmed by the Japanese. So I'm kind of hoping that eventually Capcom will port these to modern systems and localize them, kind of like they did with the original Ace Attorney games where they all came out on GBA. And they're like, oh, no, we can't bring that to North America. And then the next generation rolled around. They're like, okay, now we're totally bringing them over to North America. So (laughs) I'm hopeful that might happen with these eventually. But, you know, who knows? It seems like Capcom isn't super keen on Ace Attorney in North America these days. We're lucky to be getting the games with digital releases. We don't even get the physical copies anymore. So I don't know. I'm still hopeful that might happen. But uh, we'll see. We shall see. Now, if these became playable on a smartphone, would you play them there? I will play these games any way I can get them, I think. All right. Fair. And speaking of Capcom games I would really like to be able to play, uh, EX Troopers for 3DS is another one that uh, I really, really enjoyed in Japan and do not understand why it was not brought out in North America. If you're not familiar with the game, it is a third-person shooter and sort of a spin-off of the Lost Planet games, but with a very anime aesthetic. In addition to shooting, you can also maneuver around on a jetpack and a zipline, and there's melee combat, so it's a very robust action game. And the demo that was released on the Japanese 3DS, you know, that was something I downloaded and played, and it was a lot of fun, and I really feel like it would totally appeal to a Western audience. So other than the fact that it had a lot of voice acting in it, and they might have felt like it wouldn't be worth it to localize that... I really don't see why they couldn't have brought the game out in North America. I mean, even if it meant coming out with subtitles and keeping all the Japanese in there, I think that would be a much better option than never bring it out here. I mean, the 3DS actually you know, still has games coming out for it. And if they were to put that out there with some subtitles and start selling it in the eShop tomorrow, I think it would still find an audience because it was pretty darn good from what I played. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I feel like I do remember seeing that on the Internet somewhere. Uh, Well, people probably were talking about it because it really is quite good. Cool. Well, another one that I would certainly like to see come out over here is Uendan 2. And what is that? Oh, you don't know? I thought you uh, were already up to speed on this one because I thought it was fairly common knowledge that Elite Beat Agents started life in Japan as a game called Uendan, which featured not uh, suave agents, but male cheerleaders. Uh, I did know that. I I just, in the moment, I thought it was a delicious noodle dish. Ah, I see, I see. But, you know, really, Elite Beat Agents, you know, it's really hard to say it's a localized version of Uendan because it's changed so much. The characters changed, the stories changed, the music changed. You know, there are enough differences that you can say, okay, it's the same engine, but it's not really the same game. And, you know, regardless of that, Japan got two Uendan games. We only got the one Elite Beat Agents. So, nonetheless, I would like to say, yeah, Uendan 2 deserves to be localized some way, somehow, you know, sooner or later. You know, I think that, you know, in this day and age, you know, North American gamers would even be receptive to a rhythm game that's all J-pop and features male cheerleaders. It doesn't really need to get necessarily the full Elite Beat Agents facelift 
to uh, you know resonate with the audience. And you know, apparently, Elite Beat Agents was a huge flop and didn't resonate with anybody anyway, except for us at Nintendo Power, anyhow. So, <laughs> you know, maybe they could just bring that out and you know still call it Uendan Two and keep all that stuff intact, you know, without the radical changes and new licenses and new music that. Elite Beat Agents Incorporated, just, you know, give it to us in its pure form, uh, translate into English, bring it out. That's one I would love to play. It is probably not likely in the slightest, but personally, I would love it. Yeah, uh, Elite Beat Agents is still one of my favorite games on the DS, let alone just in general. Yeah, yeah. It's probably you know, easily within my top five all-time DS games. Heck, probably my top three. Yeah, and if there's any way we can get more of that, uh, I'm all for it. I keep saying that, but... I'm all for it. <laughs> well, is there anything uh, else on your list you want to talk about? Well, Chris, one that I'm not super duper familiar with, but uh, I remember it definitely piqued my interest back in the NP days, was Captain Rainbow. Ah, yes, that is certainly on my list as well. You know, I'm also not super familiar with it. I've never had a chance to play it. But from what I've seen and what I've heard, it sounds super quirky, and it's developed by Skip, the guys that made the original Chibi-Robo, which in itself was a bizarre and quirky game. And yeah, Captain Rainbow just sounds very, very strange and interesting, and apparently this main character, Captain Rainbow, you know, he is a washed-up superhero who has uh, fallen out of favor and has lost his fame. And so he goes off to a resort island to recuperate and make all his dreams come true. And so while he's there, he engages in sort of Animal Crossing style resort activities like fishing and bug catching, as well as sports like volleyball and stuff. But you also get to interact with these other forgotten heroes from other Nintendo games. Like I believe Birdo was in there. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, you interact with them and your goal is to make, you know, all of their wishes come true as well as your own. And it just sounds so insane and ridiculous that I think it would be a lot of fun to play and I think it would go over pretty well over here. Yeah, and I think the cameos from other Nintendo games is definitely like the intriguing part of this. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially like Birdo. You just don't see Birdo in a lot of games in general. No, no. The fact that Birdo's in there, and I hear there's somewhat of like a cross-dressing thing, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll digress. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but again, it does sound uh, quirky and bizarre and very interesting, and... Apparently, it did not sell very well either, and it's pretty rare. I was actually looking around for this game while I was over in Japan, and I was not able to find any copies in the used game stores. So, uh, yeah, maybe some sort of uh, remake or re-release uh, you know, would help alleviate that, because it does seem like it has grown in popularity after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. And then, last but not least, the game I wanted to mention is Dragon Quest XI. Now... This game is still current. There is still no word on whether it is coming to North America on Switch or 3DS for that matter. I kind of feel like the Switch version will still come out here, given the warm reception that the PS4 version got. On the other hand, I'm very doubtful that we're going to get the 3DS version. Still, I would love to see it happen. I'd love to see both of them come out here, both on Switch and 3DS. The 3DS version with its mix of 2D and 3D graphics sounds amazing. And I have to say, I was quite tempted by the Japanese version when I was over there. It was surprisingly hard to find. A lot of the stores I went to didn't have it. 
and I thought, well, maybe it's already out of print and unavailable. But I did finally go to a couple of really big electronics stores, and they had like a ton of copies. So I'm like, okay, I actually could buy this if I wanted to. <laughs> but then it dawned on me that this is a Dragon Quest game, and I wouldn't know anything that's going on. And I always end up, you know, putting aside my Dragon Quest games and not finishing them anyway. So I figured, <laughs> oh, it's probably for the best. I'll just wait till it comes out in North America if I ever get this game. But uh, at any rate. I really wanted to come out over here one way or the other. I will definitely buy uh, both of them if they come out here. I will buy, you know, one if it just comes out on Switch. So I will keep crossing my fingers that we get this game in North America on Nintendo Systems, hopefully sometime next year. I, too, would be quickly in line to purchase Dragon Quest Eleven if it were to come out here on Switch. Well, I'm glad to hear it. You know, I did play the PS4 version a bunch back at E3 this year, and it is really, really good. So good that I you know, would have easily purchased the PS4 version if I weren't still holding out hope for a Switch version. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that all comes true because it would be a real shame if Nintendo owners here in the States were not able to get that game and had to resort to picking it up on other hardware. So, yep, hopefully we'll get that one. Keep hope alive, Hoffman. Yes, indeed. Obviously, these are far from the only games that have not been released in North America and have uh, stayed only in other territories. But uh, I would say these are my top titles, and certainly this week's episode has gone on quite long enough, I think, so it is probably time to bring this week's big topic, and thus this week's episode, to a close. Phew. <laughs> However, before we go, I do believe we have time for one more thing, Pete. Uh, are we going to make gingerbread cookies? No, not at this time. Actually, we're going to have a dramatic reading. And this time, it is going to be the lyrics to King K. Rule's rap from the Gangplank Galleon remix in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Oh, this ought to be good. You can do it, whelp. You can claw. Nom. Stone him. Beat him. I'll do this with my mind. You just obey me. And do you stammer, stammer, see in my eye? You better star me, steam me, see me, scrub me, feed me my pie. You ready already, or wheezy o? And bestial crushin', easy though. And totally the very top DNA now. You need a shanty, shanty shanty a song you're an extremely scary regent that conquers us all you go that's gonna haunt my dreams <laughs> well good good i'm i'm glad to hear it. that was definitely my goal that sounds like beat poetry <laughs> it's kind of hard to decipher the lyrics when you are uh listening to that music in the game. In fact, the first time I heard it, I thought it was like the Swedish chef, you know, like, dork you work you do do or something <laughs> like that. But uh, yes, fortunately, some folks online, uh, you know, wrote down the lyrics and helped me decipher what they were saying. And I do believe that's uh, how it goes. So, wow. Yes. Please look forward to that as you are playing Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Yeah, that's, um, that's creepy. I can hear you doing like spoken word in a coffee shop with that. <laughs> well, perhaps I will do that later this week. Please look forward to it. <laughs> 
Anyway, that does it for this week's episode of Power Pros. It is a whopper. Yeah. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at Power Pros Pod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, and you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and of course, if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Old Dragonbeard, Amiibo, and our personal pilot, Fox McCloud, mission complete. We will see you next time. <laughs>